Hey everyone, Steve here. Uh, before we get started, last time I shared that in March we saw a 41% increase in our downloads. And because we're not new and noteworthy anymore on iTunes, we know that's 100% organic and likely due to all of you helping to spread the word. John and I are blown away, so thank you. John and I have big dreams for this show, and last time at the top I mentioned three things that we're asking from those of you that want to see us increase our reach and have more than two shows per week, prayer, share, and feedback. Pray for us. Share what we're doing with people that you think would like us and give us some feedback. Share via social media, in person, via email, however you feel led. If you think about it, maybe write down two or three names that you think would like the show and let them know. If they listen to podcasts, awesome. It's easy to help get them set up. If not, then what a great way to introduce them to the world of podcasting than by walking them through subscribing on their phone, tablet, or computer. I just did this a couple days ago with a potential guest over Skype with his Android phone. Thank you, thank you, thank you in advance for those of you that are going to join us in April with prayer, share, and feedback. Thanks. As a leader becomes more secure, that lends itself to a humility. It lends itself to an, a transparency and authenticity that opens up relationship. And it absolutely one of the fastest ways to end that loneliness because you're building relationships that are truly sincere. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, Russell Verhey. Now, Russell is an executive coach and speaker here in Colorado, and my co-host John Ramstead brought him to the Coach's Corner to talk about loneliness and leadership and how to pull out of being stuck or feeling like you've plateaued. Here now is John with Russell Verhey on this edition of Eternal Leadership's Coach's Corner. Well, on this episode of Coach's Corner on Eternal Leadership Podcast, today I'm really excited to bring on Russell Verhey. Russell it was introduced to me by a great friend, and Russell is just an incredible friend to leaders. He just has a passion to raise up and develop leaders, not only in this country, but around the world, uh, working with teams. Uh, if you talk with Russell, you'll find out one of, one of the most defining things about him is uh, his marriage to his wife, Kathy, and his kids. He's been in business for um, a long time, 18 years before he moved into being an executive and leadership coach, working with, with leaders. So, Russell, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Hey, Russell, before we dive in, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your background in your own words and let people get to know you before we dive into some great questions we have today. You bet. I'm excited to be here and just excited to share, so that's a real honor. Yeah, I, I am a product of many different leaders' fingerprints all over my life. And it's uh, looking back at my story over really my whole life and how I've been influenced, shaped, um, and really impacted by some key people. Not just, um, not just the messages that were spoken, but the models that they exhibited in my life that I find that I have those same characteristics, whether I'm coaching with leaders or speaking to teams, um, I, I'm I'm the product of the people who have influenced my life, and I just sense the call of God on my life as a steward to just bring that blessing and pass that along to other people, and so that really governs my every day. And so uh, it's uh, it's just a real privilege to really do what I feel called to do, and really passionate and love to uh, just literally meet with leaders and teams every day. 
You know, Russell, as you look back and you were, you know, how all these influences in your life that have uh, shaped who you are, what, what moved you out of running a company and doing what you've done in business into the, the world of being an executive coach? Yeah, thanks for asking. You know, that was a really defining moment for me in 2010. I was running an office furniture business and I was in the middle of an 80,000 square foot warehouse and I was running teams of people and I was at kind of a dark corner of the warehouse going back and looking at some parts and I had one of these moments where I just found myself kind of at the end, um, the end of like feeling this end of the season where I cried out to God saying, Oh God, I know I'm, I know that you called me to something more than this, but I have no idea how to get from here to there. Mm. And, and that began that, that cry out five years ago began a journey for me to step into, um, doing what I really felt called to do, which was really to work with leaders in, in a developmental way. And, and so I had some, key folks that walked alongside of me during that transition season that helped guide me into doing what I have uh, done now full-time for the last three years. And so it's really been an extraordinary story that in your 40s to be able to make a major career transition like that. Well, you know, Russell, knowing you, you're a humble guy, so I'd love for the people listening to to know that you know Russell works with some of the just top leaders in the world in business and in ministry you know bring that heart that you just shared uh to the conversation so I'm really looking forward to uh diving into some of these questions here next so now the first one we talked about this before we we started and this is uh the question that you're going to be bringing up it, it's amazing the themes with all my CEOs and the coaching clients I work with and people I talk to in groups, this is a, definitely a common theme. So why don't you share the first question that came from somebody that we're going to uh, dive into? You bet. Uh, one of the common themes that I see in working with leaders is that leaders are lonely. And so that, that you know, in that observation, that, that really is the question, why, why are leaders lonely? And uh, it'd be great to just talk about that. And hopefully this discussion will uh, open up some awareness and maybe some ideas to help maybe end that loneliness for leaders. So, so Russell, you're, say you're sitting down with a new client. They're in, they're in some kind of leadership role, management role. Not Maybe they're the CEO of a company, but not necessarily. And it becomes very clear to you that they just they have that sense, that, that this awareness that it's lonely at the top. It's lonely in leadership. You know, it's hard sometimes to confide to the people that are working for you, maybe your board, your peers. Uh, you know, we always have this pressure that's put upon us by the world to look intelligent and smart, be decisive, have the answer. You know, and that sometimes when we embrace that, it further isolates us. So how would you start working with somebody where they're they're in that spot? Yeah, what I've seen, there's a number of factors that, really contribute to loneliness. And I think the better we have a handle on that, um, it helps um, define the issue and really get us moving. There certainly are areas of, um, we'll just call them insecurities or fears that uh, we all have this tendency to pose and, and, and uh, position ourselves so that it doesn't reveal those insecurities. And that certainly is a contributor. 
Um, and that's kind of a core thing that uh, as, as a leader becomes more secure, that lends itself to a humility. It lends itself to an, a transparency and authenticity that opens up a relationship. And it, it uh, is, is absolutely um, one of the fastest ways to end that loneliness because you're building relationships that are truly sincere. So moving from the continuum of an insecure leader who's posing to a secure leader who um, can just truly um, position themselves just uh, operating for who they are consistently from the inside out. You know, it's funny you say that. When I, there was a company I was running, and we had a saying. It's, it was, don't be a poser. It was, and somebody was moving into that. Right. Somebody was moving into that mode of a uh, little, uh, little too much self confidence or a little grandstanding. That's what we just say. We just start calling them out, poser. But we, you know, we developed this great culture of trust and, uh, I guess, vulnerability. We all knew each other very well. Uh, a lot of people find themselves though not in that culture, that environment. So where do they move to next? Yeah, the next. Uh, piece or, or one of a key thing that isn't so maybe implicit or intuitive um, is just the area of objectivity uh, is understanding just as you just take a second and survey the circles of relationships in your life. And, and this, this sounds so simple, but it catches leaders by surprise that they have very few people that they truly can be objective with. And so who are those people that you can be safe with just to, um, you know, spend some casual time with or uh, just, brain, you know, do some brain dump or brainstorming or be able to just speculatively share just some of your thoughts or ideas without fear of consequence or ramifications. So you, if you have direct reports, there's a lot of things you don't feel comfortable disclosing. If you have a board of directors, there's things that, you may not feel very comfortable with sharing such as like a big idea of succession. I just don't know how much longer I can be in this role. And who do you talk to about that? And so the issue of who are the people that you truly can talk with objectively that also has a level of credibility that you can trust is a significant issue uh, for, for many leaders. You know what I find when I talk to people and really ask them questions about who do they know that's in that category. You know, a lot of times off the top of their head, they're not thinking of those relationships because they're sometimes we just find ourselves too busy or we just haven't focused on it. And if, if you really just sit down and ask yourself, who's in that category? Uh, I, I would guess most people can probably come up with three to five people that they could have those safe conversations with, but they've never really engaged that as an active part of their life. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, you know, if you know, if somebody's stuck, though, and says, you know, I don't know who I would turn to. Uh, I don't know who I could have a, mm -hmm. just a safe conversation with. You know, they could always hire a coach. Uh, that's what keeps you and I busy. That's right. What are some other resources that could be available to them? What questions could they ask themselves? You bet. I, I would start with uh, the people that uh, most leaders, or at least the leaders that you and I are working with, they're, many of them are fairly seasoned. And so to invite them to just go back in their kind of Rolodex of experiences and, and, um, and different seasons and times, there may be uh, some folks that, uh, that as you begin even asking the question, who are the people that I trust, 
who are the people that are credible, who can bring a fresh perspective into this. You probably have somebody that uh, you once uh, shared maybe a, a close relationship with, but either because of a move or a job change or some sort of transition um, that, you know, you just have lost contact with that person or it's not a regular relationship that, um, that maybe it's been a year or two or five, but it's amazing with that kind of level of depth of equity of relationship, you can tap right back into that um, and, and just um, being proactive uh, by reaching out with folks that maybe you already have that level of relationship with. Well, and I think in addition to that, there's a word you brought up a number of times, trust. And imagine what it would look like if you had a culture of a company. A lot of people feel lonely because they don't trust the people around them to really yeah. share some of these things, to just to be vulnerable and to open. So picture what it would look like if you had a culture where anybody who was senior to you or a peer or junior to you, you could have a conversation, be open, be vulnerable in a way that was productive, uplifting, and you know, in the spirit of moving you forward and the company forward, what would it take to create that kind of culture? That's a really great question, and that's a big idea. And I think it's worth just anchoring this conversation on um, on, the, on the big word of trust. Trust is a word like the word love is. You know, mm-hmm. it just it has a lot of depth and. Um, different categories and talking points. There's something that I've noticed, and maybe you have too, John, with the word trust, and and that people who have experienced broken trust, there are many of these folks, and maybe it's unspoken, but it's a reality that there's maybe this inward vow that says, I am never going to trust like that again, and something inside of them internally shuts down the ability and um to trust one another, and that limits their ability to engage relationally and therefore have trusted relationships. And then I think it's really important for a leader that's experienced that to see what that, what has contributed to that, what, what, um, and what you can do to maybe break that vow um, that's limiting you for your relationship. So I think that's a starting point to creating a culture of trust. That could be a culture of trust within friendships. It could be in your church community. It could be within your organization. But it has to start with um, it has to start with breaking that um, inner valve that says, "Hey, I'm never going to trust like that again." It's a it's a very important uh, reflective exercise to go through. And then the next uh, anchor point and grounding point in the subject of trust is acknowledging the fact that trust requires risk and that you, you, cannot, um, you cannot facilitate or build a culture of trust without some measurable risk in building those relationships. And so um, that doesn't mean you have to bet the farm by sharing something that's just completely out there and leaving yourself exposed, but that you can, with some discernment and wisdom, begin exhibiting areas of risk or vulnerability. And in the sharing of those things, um, it opens a dialogue that um, invites more conversation and therefore creates an environment where trust can be um, really nurtured in a team setting. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. It's It's an incredible leadership opportunity for people out there. And I think 
you hit the nail on the head. When people have had, we've all had that broken trust in the past, and all of a sudden we have these limiting beliefs that we create in our heads about how this might play out. And I, I would recommend a great tool for people. I call it being self-deceived. And there's a great book called Leadership and Self-Deception that really talks about mm. these mindsets and how we take these experiences from our past, which are really limiting us from being not only effective leaders, building trust, being willing to take, you know, small risks. It's like, you know, building a, you know, putting a ladder up the wall. The first, you know, getting to the first floor is easy. And then you, you keep building this, but you have to be moving forward in that direction. So sometimes people just need some tools uh, or maybe a different way of thinking or mindset or some clarity on some practical things they can do to just start moving in that direction. Because if you really feel lonely and you sat down and just looked at the organization that you're in and just ranked on a scale of one to 10, what's the level of trust in this organization and I have in it, my guess would be that uh, it would be a pretty low number you'd put on that. And you got to start somewhere. It's so true. That's uh, just a comment about that because last year I w- just finished a reflective time. I facilitated about 20 offsite retreats for organizations. And I usually start those offsites with uh, a benchmarking exercise that I allow everybody to weigh into. And I, the benchmarking for teams is where are you at on on these four benchmarks? One, the lowest means you're a static group. Um, The next group is you're more of a tactical, let's just get things done. Third is a strategic group that uh, you're thinking about better ways to get things done and that you, and fourth, um, and the most dynamic is you're a missional group where you're really aware of the why and you, you almost have the heart in front of you all the time and it's just a very dynamic um, environment to work in. And so I, those four benchmarks and four categories for leaders and the teams, I ask them, where do you see this team at? And it's always surprising uh, for the leader in the room to kind of get a reality check to sense where, where they're at, how many of the people will say, hey, we're just really static, or maybe we're tactical. And so I just give that as an illustration that it's easy for leaders to presume trust. It's easy for leaders to presume they do have a culture of health and transparency and authenticity. But if you even have the courage to invite the dialogue with the teams, you may be caught by surprise. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't engage with that. It's just it gives you an indication, hey, this really needs to be a priority, and we need to focus on this to build a healthy trust culture. You know, that reminds me, we could have a whole other podcast on this. Is just it, It's in the world of trust, but just the fear of feedback. There's a lot of people in leadership, they, mm-hmm. they don't want to put the question out there because they really don't want to face what the reality of, of how people are, are viewing what they're doing or how they're doing it or what the real culture is that they've created that could be different than what's in their head. So, well, you know, to build on this, the, the second question uh, that came in uh, uh, really talks about a theme that you, that I know you do a lot of work when it's just being stuck, stuck in your head. Uh, th- this is from a leader who says, you know, I'm uh, everything in life is going well. Uh, I had him describe where he was at. He says, I feel like I'm at a plateau. 
and those energies and passions and vision that just fueled the early part of his career is not there. And, you know, if people think back, I'm, I'm sure there's a, a point in your life, whether it was, you know, in athletics or early on in business or with your marriage where you were, you just couldn't wait for the next task to do something that was rewarding and you're not there anymore and you feel stuck. So when, when you're working with leaders that are, they're stuck, Russell, where do you start with them? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. And in, in the, there's a number of different approaches to it. But ultimately, it requires some level of reflection. It has to go back to what was that vision that, that started you down this path and, and how, um, where are you at on that path and how is maybe where you are today different than, than where you thought you were going to be, you know, be today. And that, that kind of discussion begins to surface something that leaders don't often talk about or have the environment to talk about is the area of regrets. What are the regrets that you've experienced that maybe you just stuff some of those things away? Uh, the, another area similar is just areas of disappointment that you, you really reached out and that, um, and, and maybe you experienced some disappointments. You know, it reminds me of a proverb that it's hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled um, is a tree of life. And there is so much, we're, you know, leaders, especially visionary leaders are so connected to the hopes that inspire them. And man, if any one of us have stepped into something that's truly visionary, aspirational in that way, and suddenly some things happen that just did not turn out like we hoped or expect, it, it, it has the possibility to defer hope and it creates a sickness inside of us. And so that that's something that uh, needs some light. It needs some light. It needs some room, potentially for some healing. And 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 when when there's room to talk about some of those things, it literally puts kind of light on the dark places of those areas that uh, we use this word. I'm stuck. I'm stuck in my own head. I'm stuck in my own dreams. I'm stuck in my own fears. And a lot of that stuck is just because that place has been. Uh, just hasn't got a lot of attention. And soon as leaders um, put some attention on that, just conversationally, reflectively, it begins to get them moving, um, um, you know, and off off of center and, and in the right direction. You know, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about our previous conversation, you know, just not only just about trust, but those relationships, those key people in your life that you can have these safe conversations with because uh, i think this process of getting unstuck starts really from two areas is first of all recognizing it and verbalizing it and sharing that with somebody who can help you reconnect back to your core values what god's called you to do you know the things in your life that just give you energy and juice and passion and are any of those reflected in what you're doing in your life and a lot of those like like the leader you described who had this just visionary goal that they were set on. And we all know people that have achieved that. And maybe we didn't, we didn't hit the mark, the mark that we were aiming for. And there's this whole concept of forgiveness. Sometimes we just need to forgive ourselves, uh, forgive others yeah. around us that were part of maybe not getting to the destination we had hoped to get to. Uh, because I, I, a lot of people I work with when they're stuck 
uh, and they don't have ownership of who they are and where they want to go to, it is a real limiting obstacle to really tapping back into that that visionary path that was just giving them that that fulfillment that they've had in the past. Yeah, and you raise a really important point, one that I've noticed is a key theme in my life, and I've identified this as I've had these conversations with leaders. And for the leaders that are listening to this, if you just take a few minutes and look, look at your day, look at your week, your month, and if you take stock of all the things that you are doing, you know, what percentage of those activities are just really reactive to where you're just responding to what we'll say the tyranny, tyranny of the urgent versus what's the percentage of the, of the things that you're doing that are truly proactive, truly initiating, that's moving you in, in a direction that you just know is right. And that, and, and it, 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 um, it requires a level of courage. It requires, you know, some counsel and wisdom. But ultimately, as you're stepping out, that's that's the essence of leadership. And so, leaders that are stuck and, and would, you know, feel that um, is is a leader that's likely the majority of their time is spent doing reactionary things, and and that that is one of the most practical things you can do to just take stock. And, and begin moving in the right directions of more proactive activities. Well, I agree. And, you know, you know, in the spirit of reflection, I think going back and really spending time looking at times in your life where you've really felt connected with that, that inspirational vision, that passion, you know, what, what habits mm-hmm. did you have back then, you know, what was your association with the relationship with your wife? Maybe it was, uh, you were really focused on staying physically fit. You were going to the gym. Everybody's going to be different, but how can you go back in the past and look at those areas of your life you'd like to recreate and use what was working then compare that to where you are now and start bringing some of those things back in. It could be a relationship with God. Uh, it could be, you know, you had a great group of friends around you, a mastermind group, a forum that you were in, which can be incredibly helpful for, for people in, in business and leadership roles. But there's a lot you can do to get unstuck, but a lot of it can be in reflection and just reaching outside of yourself for some help. You bet. And, and I'll respond to that in a, in a personal example for me that is a little bit ironic. And every time I look at this, I'm always caught a little bit by surprise. I'll take leaders through an assessment at the Berkman assessment. It's been around mm-hmm. 60 years, and I use some other assessments that are similar, but I really like that Berkman tool. And one of the things it reveals about me and some other assessments support this is that there's Russell and his natural uh, core competencies, my strengths, and, and those are usually pretty explicit and they're usually pretty strong just because of my style and personality. But what these, what these tools reveal is that every time Russell is under stress, that I actually dumb down in almost every area. That where I may be bold in some areas, when I'm under stress, I go into this neutral, almost passive sense where I'm still a good guy and people may enjoy my company, but you're not really getting the best of Russell. And, and as I look back reflectively over my career and just personal life and so on, I, I can see um, markers in my life where when I've been under significant stress, 
that I'm just kind of existing. There's nothing really explicit about my life, and my passions are very limited, and my impact is really limited because of these stress points that I'm under. And and so that that makes me really um, have to identify what are the stress points that are keeping me from truly stewarding what I feel God's put inside of me to give to other people. And, and so, you know, so this is just in that story, just to have leaders think about what are the stresses that are in their life and what do they can do? What can they do to really mitigate some of those things that um, may keeping them from truly exhibiting their passions in their everyday. You know, when you're, when you're in those stressful situations and, you know, your body reacts physically, it produces adrenaline, which definitely changes how your brain processes things. And we go back to some base instincts, you know, either fight or flight or become a peacemaker. And what I have found helpful in those situations is actually when everything's going on, ask myself, what do I really want out of this situation? Is it that I just want to win? Do I just want to get my way? Do I just want these two people who are arguing to get along? But if I actually just go down and say, what do I want? You can even link that to say, what does God call me to do? What is the, how does this link to what he's put into my life? And just stay focused on some of the things that are not emotionally tied in, which creating these sometimes a physical reaction. But if you can just get to that core piece Sometimes that can completely change a dialogue, a discussion, a communication, both internally and externally that you have with yourself. Because now you're focusing on uh, what you want that's actually going to be moving you forward versus just being in the moment, which is causing you the stress. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and just to go back, I mean, understanding the stress points and really just a quick you know, evaluation uh, and is something we all need to do. But, you know, I don't know, maybe for you, you can relate to this, John, as well. So there's sometimes I, in my own head, I can't even get out of my own head, that I've got to have somebody who knows me, that I trust, that can just give me a quick, um, just even a quick comment, quick feedback, or just a quick fresh perspective on something. Man, it just does something that snaps me to attention, that unless I have somebody in my life that's speaking into my life, um, I just don't know if I can get there on my own. You know, I've found the same thing. I think that that's a great point. So, Russell, as we wrap up here, as we've talked about, you know, you know, really building trust so we're not lonely and, and you know, tapping into our, 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 our passions and uh, any final thoughts here as we wrap up? You bet. Um, you know, these big themes of leaders are lonely and uh, being stuck in your own head. It, it's um, the fastest way that you can uh, get moving on that is just really identify the, the couple of key people that who can walk with you, um, you know, through this season. And so I would just encourage those that are listening just to take stock of the relationships of the folks that are in their life. And just as soon as you finish this, you know, text them, email them, give them a call and just reconnect with those relationships um, because those, those friendships are really a gift from God and can really help you become the leader that uh, God's called you to be. You know, that is great advice. I would love for anybody that does that, you know, as a leader, it's about taking action, doing something when you hear a great idea. 
you know, with what you just shared, Russell, if somebody just reaches out to reconnect with a mentor from the past or somebody who's been a part of their life to help, you know, build that back up, let us know what happened. Uh, share that with others as a way to encourage them. We'd love you to go to eternalleadership.com and go to this Coach's Corner episode here with Russell. Post those comments. We'd love to see them. And, and Russell, how can people get in touch with you? You bet. Thanks for asking. Um, our website is leadersadvance.net. And we're based in Colorado Springs, but we work with leaders around the country and even around the world. Thank goodness for Skype, right? And last week I was right. uh, Skyping with um, my good friend and pastor from Berlin. That uh, they, they lead one of the largest evangelical churches in Germany. And uh, so, you know, just with uh, whoever's listening, wherever you are in the world, you know, if you need a friend or a coach, um, then reach out. Um, Russell at leadersadvance.net. Thanks. Great. Thanks, Russell, for your time, and uh, I really appreciate it. That was that was fantastic. If you'd like more information about John or Russell's executive coaching practices, would like to schedule a complimentary coaching session with John, all that and more, just go to eternalleadership.com slash 035. We'll have all that and more in our show notes, eternalleadership.com slash 035. Five. A quick way to get to that page if you're listening on your smartphone, tablet, or computer is to click on the link embedded in the description of this MP3. Since most of our listeners listen on iPhones or iPads, if you go and click on the logo of this episode, you'll see it right there. If you're viewing the episode list in the podcast app, it's the little I on the right-hand side of each episode. I love that feature. Next time on Eternal Leadership, author and blogger Kevin Adams. God had to strip away everything from me that, that I had built up. You know, you can call them strongholds or whatever they are. They are landmines left over, and they need to be cleared out. But uh, the opinions of others was very difficult for me to, to get past. And so it, it's just this continued journey towards sonship and being joyful about every day and truly living what the Bible teaches us to live. And, and so, but in that, there are so many tests. Kevin talks about losing his business, multiple homes, cars, all his material possessions in 2008, and how God used that to draw him to a deep place of relationship and contentment in his faith. We loved this conversation. Don't miss it. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Leadership.